Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 23 on how our challenge, like Abraham, is not to allow this world to become our home. And we'll learn how Abraham did not own any property other than his burial cave. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. That's how we should live. This is what Moses meant when he said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Mr. Peretz then told me, and I was was explaining this to him, he says to me, Yes, but the Torah says that you need to have flour so that you can study. (laughs) The Torah nowhere says that. So now, looking at verse 13 and seeing how those believers filled their vision with the promises of God, what effect did those promises have on those believers? What does it say? They persuaded them. See, these believers, when they were looking at these promises, and they filled their lives and their vision with these promises, what we should do, those promises persuaded them. They changed them. And after he fills the vision, after the believer fills his vision with the promises of God and they persuade him, What does the verse say that those believers did with the promises of God? They embraced them. You know, picture a little kid. You give him a teddy bear, and he hugs it, and he embraces, and he says, my teddy, my teddy bear. That's what they did. They said, these are my promises here. They embraced them, and they said, those are not just the promises of God. Those are my promises of God. They embraced them. That's a beautiful word. And then from verse 13, then what happened? What evidence that those believers had embraced the promises of God? What was the evidence then? See, it's because they saw them, it's because they let them influence them, it's because they wrapped their arms around them and said they were theirs, and therefore they confessed, I'm in the waiting lounge, I'm a stranger and I'm pilgrim here, you see, and that's what they did. Now, in verse 15, expresses the greatest danger that believers faced and that you and I face, and it's one word, what's that word? The greatest danger to returning is to become mindful, that's a beautiful word, mindful, full of mind. Let the world fill their mind. That's a danger. That's a pattern for our lives, see? Keep the promises of God in front of us. Let our minds embrace the promises of God. Let those promises persuade and change our lives. Openly confess that we're strangers and pilgrims, and our, the greatest challenge is so that we can have a good report through faith, and our greatest danger is to not let our mind become full with the entertainments of the world, with the television of the world, with the movies of the world. See? So our challenge is to not allow this world to fill our mind. 
so that the world becomes our home. As a matter of fact, Abraham, it's interesting with this passage we're reading here, because in Acts 7.5 it says that God gave him none inheritance in it in Canaan. No, not so much as to put his foot on, but he promised that he would give him for a possession and a seed after him when as yet he had no child. The only exception to that is this burial ground, this burial cave, and I don't think he wanted to set his foot on that very often. But anyways, he purchased this earth there, and he never would have bought this property except that he needed a place to bury Sarah. It's the only reason he did it. And that property always reminded Abraham, this world's not my home. But it was just a repository for the body of Sarah, the shell in which Sarah occupied, and that would be the repository for Abraham's body and for Isaac's body and Jacob's body and Joseph's body. So the real challenge for us is to keep us from saying, this world's not bad, I'm quite happy here. How do we do that? Well, one way is by keeping in our mind the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking about how he lived on this earth. You know, he died when he was 33 years old. He didn't have a wife, didn't have a physical family, but he made the family of God. I was thinking of Muriel and Bert Poole, how they loved children, and they tried for 10 years to have children, but they couldn't have children. Yet, like the Lord, they had many spiritual children. But Muriel never had the joy of children running around and their own children running around their home. I was thinking of Mildred Dombo, your stepmother, and how in her life, widowed twice, it's very dangerous to marry her. And she never had any children, yet the Lord, she had many spiritual children. I consider myself one of her children. But she never had the joy of having children running around her home. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke about his life in Luke 9, 58, he said, and Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So he said, he had no place to call home, no comfort of a home, no safety of a home, yet he gave a home in heaven to many. It was because he left his home, as we were talking this morning, it was because he left his home in heaven and came here to a place without a home that it was able to be set about him in Hebrews 2.10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Bringing many sons unto glory. He brought many sons to glory. And in Revelation 7.9 it says, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, peoples, tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. As we were singing on Friday night, Behold what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The key verse for us to keep in making this world a home is in Micah 2.10, where it says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. It is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. You know, the two words there are very interesting. It says destroy and destruction. They're not the same word, but they're related. And the first word, chabal, for destroy, is used for a rope that is slowly tightened. And it causes a person to writhe in pain. And then the second word, chebel, which is related to it, that's the word that's used for a noose that chokes a person to death. And so what God is saying is that if we try to make this earth our rest, then it's going to slowly strangle us like an anaconda. It's going to choke off our life breath like a noose around our neck. And so God has ways, thank God, but he has ways to keep his own from making this world their home. And a beautiful picture of this in some of the ways that God has, the way that God has, is in Exodus 1. Whereas if you kind of follow a progression there, it goes like this. Exodus 1, 1 says, the children of Israel came into Egypt. 
And then it says in the verse 7 of Exodus 1-7, the children of Israel were fruitful, they increased abundantly, they multiplied, they waxed exceeding mighty, the land was filled with them. So, you know, because they were fruitful and increased with an increase and exceeding mightily, they were in danger of saying, who needs Canaan? Life's pretty good here. I'm just fine in Egypt, thank you very much. And that's true of us. When the world smiles on us and when we're fruitful and life is good, then we're in danger of saying, who needs heaven? Life's good down here. Then what did God do for the Jewish people? Verse 8 of Exodus 1. And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not know Joseph. He didn't know Joseph. And then verse 11, therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities of Python and Ramses. See, God used affliction to keep them to want to leave. And they did want to leave. And God uses affliction in our lives to keep us looking to heaven. He uses affliction in our lives to keep us in the waiting lounge of the airport. Don't go wander off. Wait for your, call, wait for your flight. I remember at the ranch in Lakeside that... Our old bed broke down. I bought this bed. This was the most wonderful bed. This bed was perfect. This is the most comfortable bed. I never found another one. The pillow top was perfect. Everything was perfect about this bed. It was really nice. I know this sounds stupid to you, but anyway. I was attached to this bed. I was very attached to the bedroom. And so how did God sever this from me? Well, first, we had this massive infestation of ants into the bedroom. First step. And second, we had an employee. I asked him, could we solve the problem? So he goes there, and he douses the whole bedroom down. I said, what did you spray with? He says, Chlordane. <laughs> That's the second severance. <laughs> and the third was that we had this heating blanket, and we used to tuck the heating blanket at the foot of the bed. And then one night, we're in there, and it caught on fire, and the bed caught on fire. <laughs> and Ed Landry came out, and he used a big axe and chopped up my bed, and then hosed it down. That was the end of the bed. You know, God has ways. He has ways to sever us from what we hold dear on earth. He keep us in the waiting lounge at the airport. Don't go wander off. Don't miss the flight to heaven. Now, it's very interesting how verse 3 says what Abraham did. It says Abraham stood up from before his dead. That's a very important phrase when it says he stood up from before his dead because it's telling us something very important about Abraham. When it says that Abraham stood up from before his dead, it's saying that there was a set time in which Abraham's, he had this time which he mourned, he grieved for Sarah, and then after that time, that was the time when it says that Abraham stood up from before his dead. The time was finished, he stood up before his dead. He felt the pull of the sinking into a life of depression and despair because Sarah had died, and he resisted that pull, and his resistance is expressed in this Abraham stood up from before his dead. You know, he just lost his dearest friend on earth, his beloved wife, his gorgeous wife, and Abraham was in danger of overgrieving for his loved one. But Abraham resisted this pull to overgrieve for Sarah when it says Abraham stood up before his dead. You know, when Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt and he seized on Benjamin, they didn't know who he was, and he threatened to keep Benjamin there while the others returned to Jacob. And then Judah comes and pleads with Joseph, please let Benjamin go. And he said these words in Genesis 44, 31. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. It'll come to pass when he see that the lad is not with us, that he'll die. See, Judah said that Jacob's life was bound up in the lad's life. As believers, our life should never be bound up in any person on earth. So that if that person dies, then our life dies. It shouldn't be that way. As believers, there's only one person who our lives are bound up in, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, 
shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. But we've been talking about how God has ways to keep us from making this earth our home and a resting place. And God has ways to keep us in the airport lounge waiting for the flight. And after the full impact of Sarah's death had affected Abraham, then he stood up from before his dead. Now, notice the very first words that Abraham said in verse 4 after this. It says, after he said, Abraham stood up from before his dead. He says in verse 4, he stood up before his dead, and then he says, I am a stranger and a sojourner. You know, he had a lot of money. He says he had great amounts of silver and gold, and he had a lot of flocks and a great numbers of servants. But with all that that he had, if anybody was in danger of saying, I'm quite comfortable with here on earth, it was Abraham. Or was anybody who would say, well, I'm very happy. Thank you very much. Leave me alone. I have a nice life here on earth. But right in the center of his happiness on earth was his friend Sarah, a stunningly gorgeous wife who was so submissive to him that she called him my Lord. Not bad, huh, man? <laughs> a stunningly gorgeous wife, a friend who calls you my Lord. I'll be in trouble if I go on any further with this point. But Sarah's death so deeply impacted Abraham that the first words out of his mouth in verse 4 is, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. And we can see how God used Sarah's death to keep Abraham in that airport waiting lounge, keep him from wandering off. And he says, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. I'm in the airport lounge. And when Abraham asked himself where his best friend on earth was, then the answer was, she's with God in heaven. And that's where I'm going. That's why I'm a stranger and a sojourner. See, like David said after his son died, in 2 Samuel 12, 23, David, speaking about his son, young son who died, infant son. But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, he shall not return to me. See, Abraham missed Sarah and wanted to be with her. And Abraham thought like King David and said, can I bring her back again? I shall go to her, but she shall not return to me. And this lasting message that Sarah's death left on Abraham was that, Abraham could say, Sarah didn't stay, Sarah went to God. I'm not staying, I'm going to God. And Abraham, he never forgot Sarah. For the rest of his life, he never forgot her. The memory always caused him to say, I'm going. Even though Jacob, he ended up with more wives than he wanted. He just wanted one, but you know, what can you do? Four. (laughs) Anyway, he really only had one real love in his life, and it was Rachel. Not that that was a wise decision for him, but anyway, that's the way it was. And Rachel was the love of his life. And he ended up saying, it's so interesting, you know, up to his dying day in Genesis 48, he's talking about Rachel. And he says in Genesis 48, 7, and he's speaking to Joseph, he says, as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me. This was a long time ago. He says, but he's still talking about her. He says, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when there was yet just a little way to come uh, to Ephrath. And I buried there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. You know, last night at family night, 92-year-old Muriel Poole, who lost her husband 15 years ago, was telling us with tears in her eyes how Bert told his father that if Muriel, who plays the piano so wonderfully, that if Muriel's arms were cut off at the elbows, he said he would still love her and marry her. She's crying. So just as Sarah going to heaven made Abraham want to go to heaven, so Bert going to heaven made Muriel want to go to heaven. And Abraham knew that Sarah was no longer in that body. And I don't know how long Abraham kept Sarah's body in his sight, but it was some time. And I want you just to think about that scene when he says, I'm going to bury my dead out of my sight. It's been in his sight. Think about Sarah's body in Abraham's sight. You know, it doesn't take very long for the deterioration of a corpse to start, especially when there's no refrigeration. And so there is Abraham sitting in front of Sarah as her body, you know, goes into rigor mortis, and then her body bloats. You know, we used to see this with the goats. 
And it bloats as the gases form on the inside, then the noises from the gases coming out, then the awful smells. And Abraham didn't have any refrigeration to keep this from happening. We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800 247 3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You know, it reminds me of a customer friend of mine from Scotland, Dr. Alistair Devlin, and uh, he used to work for Serono Diagnostics Pharmaceuticals in London. And so he was telling me one time about it. He took a flight he took from London to New York on British Air, and he was sitting in business class where they have those two seats, you know, next to each other, and the flight was absolutely packed. There wasn't an empty seat on the whole flight. It was a very popular flight. And there was this very obese man, this American man, was sitting next to him. They started talking right away a little bit. And then they were about one hour into the flight, and the man next to him seemed to struggle, and then he stopped breathing. And he just lay there lifeless. It wasn't just a few hours that Abraham is sitting there in front of Sarah's dead body that once beamed with joy and life, and seeing the deterioration that took place in Sarah's body, this process began to occur within Abraham, where he began to become convinced she's not in that body anymore. She doesn't live in that body anymore. She has left. Just like the fiddler crab that got too big and then leaves a shell and goes into another shell, Sarah had grown enough on earth, and she left that shell of that earthly body, and now she's moved on to a heavenly body. And so Abraham, this is a very important process for him. And he begins to understand that. And he says, okay, I need to respect the body that Sarah once lived in. So I got to bury her. And in verse 4, we see Abraham, he uses these words twice. It says in verse 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. And give me a possession of burying in place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So he tells them, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. And he's saying, look, my life is different from yours. But he didn't say this in such a way like, you know, push away. I'm pushing you away from you. You know, he didn't say it that way. He said it as a way of invitation. And Paul expresses truth. He said, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, I wrote it to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or with idolaters. Then you must needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or, a, or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, extortioner, was such a one, no, not to eat. See, Paul's clarifying what he's saying here. He said, if a person claims to be a Christian is involved in those sins of immorality and crime, then we're not even to eat with them. It's interesting that Paul, and I emphasize that word, he uses the word called. 
He says, call the brother. He didn't say if a person is a brother, because when a person does return to those sins, it's just not really clear to us if the person's a brother or not. So he says, if they call him. But that didn't apply to the lost. That didn't apply to the lost. We are to company. We are to eat. We are to be with those who are involved in these sins. Why? So we can reach them with the gospel. So Abraham says, I'm with you. So you can reach them. And the children of Hesh, and notice in verse 6, they say to Abraham, when they look to him, they say, what do we see? We see a mighty prince. Oh, this is a mighty prince. It reminds us of what God said to Jacob in Genesis 32, 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. The word Israel means prince of God. According to John 1, 11 and 12, it supplies to us, he came unto his own, his own received him not, but... As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them believe on his name. And since God is the king of kings, by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, when we become sons of God, we become sons of a king, and a son of a king is a prince. And so we are princes with power with God and with men. And so the children of Heth, they saw Abraham, they said, oh, mighty prince, mighty prince, mighty prince of God. He has power with God. Now, what a contrast this was in how the children of Heth saw Abraham and how Abraham saw himself. The children of Heth saw Abraham as a mighty prince, but Abraham sees himself as a stranger and alien, stranger and sojourner. The children of Heth look and they say, boy, if I could only have what he has, that ought to be great. He's really a great man. Abraham said, are you kidding? I'm in the waiting lounge of the hotel, of the airport. I'm waiting for my flight to be called. I'm a stranger and sojourner. I'm just traveling, just traveling. This is the hallmark of true repentance that results in really in a contrast in how others see a believer and how the repentful believer sees himself. This is the contrast that's going to take place with the Jewish people when they will say about themselves after they repent in Jeremiah 31, 17 through 19, it says, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, you know, saying, Woe is me. Thus, and saying, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou to me, and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. In Job, he says about himself, he looks at himself, and he says in Job 42.6, I abhor myself and repent and dust and ashes. Paul says about himself in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? A prophet Isaiah says about himself in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And Peter says in Luke 5, 8, it says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now we see in verse 6 how the children of Heth replied to Abraham and said, Hear us, my Lord, Thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. See, first they call Abraham my Lord. Adoni, my Lord. See, the last time we heard Abraham called my Lord, we already said that, was in Genesis 18, 12, where it says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, speaking of Abraham, being old also, and then they told Abraham that he was a mighty prince. And then they told him that nobody was going to hold back his sepulcher from them. So these men of Heth, they're just falling all over themselves. And in praise of Abraham, they're just praising him. They're offering Abraham whatever you want, Abraham. 
Because they knew God had blessed Abraham. It was clear. They had seen what it says about Abraham in Genesis 13.2, where it says, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And in the next chapter, when we come to the next chapter, and we're going to read how Abraham sends his servant, Eliezer, to go to get a wife for Isaac. Turns out to be Rebekah. And then he comes into the house of Laban there, and he introduces himself to everybody, and he describes Abraham in Genesis 24, 35, which we're going to come to, and he says, The Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. Now, they all knew that Abraham had gone after an enormous army of the five kings with just 318 men. And he had won, as it says in Genesis 14, 14. And when Abraham heard that his brother, speaking of Lot, was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318 and pursued them unto Dan. It was obvious to everyone who looked that Abraham was blessed of God, that he had power. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got the most popular Bible scriptures to study and memorize section. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. Call us, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 